The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Amplify. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. All right, this is Ken Roshan. We are live in D.C. area, not traveling the world right now, and we have a very special guest, Doug Sandler, and the reason he's special is because, one, he's a very nice guy, and secondly, he is actually in the local area, so he was able to hop in a car and drive down to the station, and he got here early. We had a little bit of a hiccup there. I think the helicopter that uh, Doug landed on the roof, he might have hit our satellite dish. Did you hit a dish and then... Uh forget to actually put that back in. It was, it was an aerial deer, so I really, <laughs> you know, they're, they're everywhere in Maryland right now. So deer are everywhere. Get everybody, safety note, avoid uh, the Maryland airspace at any final uh, cost because uh, there's too many air deer right now. <laughs> well, thanks for that warning. See, nice guys will do that. Most mean guys, they will let you hit those aerial deers and pay the price. So, uh, Doug, we were talking about uh, the 44,000 people on LinkedIn that actually not only comment on which book they like, but the fact that they actually made a donation to the Nice Guy Foundation. Yeah, I was thinking about having a, uh, a Patreon account instead of actually selling the book. I thought that might make more sense, just have people just send me the money, but I thought maybe to trade a little value and, and uh, give them a book as well might be a good idea. Really interesting thing about that, that whole LinkedIn uh, design is I put two cover designs up on LinkedIn just I, literally, I was looking for maybe 10, 15 people to respond. After about a month, I had about, I don't know, 100 or 200 people that had responded, and I thought that that was really good. And somehow I got into some channel or somebody, somebody must have promoted it, or I don't even know how it happened, but I woke up the next day, I had almost 20,000 comments, seemingly overnight. And uh, about a month later from that, 44,000 comments, and that's really what launched that book, Nice Guys Finish First. Well, I think there was a, an interesting ploy that one of your books had the, the title with a nice blue tie, and the other one had a, a red tie with, like, little skulls on it. I think that was... <laughs> yeah, or maybe it was the political season. Everybody saw blue and red, and they saw Democrat versus Republican. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, whatever it was, I, it was a great way to launch a book, and it was uh, at the right place, right time, I guess. Yeah, and a great message, and I was just going to ask, what prompted you to take the leap and say, this is the way I live, I'm actually going to have this my message and, and have this my new pathway and career? It was uh, March of 2013, and I sat down with my financial planner because he said, uh, in the DJ world, he said, Doug, at that point I was 47 years old, uh, he said, hey, Doug, you, um, you, know, you really should consider what is going to be that next step in your life. 
And um, I really had never thought about it. I thought, well, okay, I'm in my mid-40s. I'm probably just going to be a bar mitzvah MC the rest of my life. And then I started really to look at the guys that were doing what I am doing uh, 10 or 15 years down the road. And I said, you know, I can't see myself on the dance floor. In, in, a, jolly, in a joking way, I would say, I just can't see myself doing the cha-cha slide at 60 years old in the middle of the dance floor. And not that I don't think that I could play the part, but I don't know if I wanted to play the part. So um, he said, just think about what other opportunities are, are potentially out there for you. And it really took me, I would say, six or seven months until the, that summer. And I went to a uh, National Association for Catering Executives event. And, um, and I saw uh, this guy speak. His name is Ryan Estes. And at the end of his speech, I think I might have done like, a, like one of those linebacker kind of just go right up to the front. Um, I pushed my way up to the front through all the ladies that were there because he was a cute guy. And I, and I said to him, I, I, I asked him a question. He said, well, you're not really even coming up to talk to me about my message, are you? And he says, I know that look, and that's the look of somebody that really wants to get into the speaking business. Is that why you're here? And it was uncanny that he really did approach me from that angle. And uh, he was 100% right. He said, I can't tell you how to be a good speaker, but I can tell you how to hire a good speaking coach. And that's what he did. So he gave me his speaking coach's name. Uh, her name was Jane Atkinson, and I ended up having a conversation with Jane probably about two or three weeks after that meeting in the summer of 2013 with Ryan. Uh, one of the first meetings I had with Jane, she said, um, you know, in order to be a, a really good speaker, you need to have a book. And I said, well, I don't even, I have a tough time writing love notes to my life. I said, I can't imagine writing a, writing a book. Well, also, you hadn't even read a book. I had at that point in my life, you know, I, you're right. I read uh, Fox and Stock <laughs> and, uh, and uh, One Fish, Two Fish, Blue, Red Fish, Blue Fish. Well, what a great book they are. They are classics. They are classics. So she said, you need, to write a, you need to write a book. She said, but let's not focus on the book. Let's first focus on your message. And she taught me, taught me about the importance of having a promise statement, having a message, having uh, a, a, an outline for a message that I wanted to get out there, not only to the world, but to have a good message that had living examples of things that have happened in my life. So about a year with her, it brought me to a point where she felt I was ready to not only go out and speak, but, uh, but to put this book into, into, into play. Um, I met this guy, his name is Rob Jollis, through a personal connection that I had, and Rob uh, sat down with me in about 10 minutes' time. He got me so excited about the book, except... The problem was he said, hey, you're, you know, you got to write 200 pages. And as soon as he said that, I, you know, it was just this little thing that went off in my head. I'm just like, I can't do it. I just don't think I can. I don't think I have it within me to write a 200-page book. And he said, don't look at it like writing 200 pages. Look at it like you're writing 10 pages a week for the next 20 weeks. And when he said that, something clicked in my head. And I said, that is doable because 10 pages a week for 20 weeks is more like a page and a half a day. Anybody listening to this show now, both of those people listening to the show right now can, anybody can write a page and a half a day. You're talking about writing 750 to 1,500 words a day. And you can do that. Anybody can if they have the passion. I wrote or they just want to write bad content. Or they, well, yeah, they want to write bad content. I felt like, you know, after at that point in my life, I think I was 49, at 49 years old, I knew I had enough stories. I knew I had enough lessons learned. I knew I had enough business experience of 30 years of being a DJ in the entertainment world, all the fun stories that, you know, you and I could probably sit down and just talk about nothing other than the goofy things that happened at events and the customer service stories and all the things associated with the clients. And I just said, I can do this. I can put this book together. 
And there was a certain level of accountability that Rob provided for me and that he just said, I'm here for you every week. We're going to talk about it. We're going to make it happen. And that's exactly what he did. He made it happen for me. He just, he didn't tell me what to write or how to write it, but he was there so that when the week that Sunday came and I need to report in to, to Rob, I was never going to call him and say, I didn't do the 10 pages this week. And so for me, it was somebody that I was accountable to. What I really learned through this whole process was that writing a book was more like, I think we talked about this earlier, it was more like 20% writing and 80% marketing because I started building my network of people that were in the know in the book business and customer service business and publishing. I started writing that uh, you know, building my network probably about a year before the book started, 10 months before the book came out. So by the time the book came out and this LinkedIn article and, you know, the, the posts and everything, and then the Huffington Post came to be and I was writing a blog and all of these pieces came together, when the book came out in March of 2015, I think within a few weeks it was already number one on the, the bestsellers list, only because I had focused on not just writing the book but all the other things that were associated with, with building the business. So that is like the long end of the, of the story of how did I get to even you know, come up with this message. Well, I think the message you're, you're sharing right now is so vital because you know as well as I do, if you're the best DJ in the area or the best photographer in the area, but you don't have marketing, no one else knows it, so right. you'll actually go out of business. Right. And so you approached actually your book writing, I'm taking it just the way you approach your DJ because you're great at marketing, you're great at networking for your DJ business. People know you, and your phones ring as a result of the reputation you have and also people uh, talking about it because of the marketing you did. I think I, the, the only thing that I, that I really struggle with today is this whole reinvention thing. You know, the DJ business, it all came organically. And when you're in college and you're a junior in college and you start to DJ, you're doing it for beer money and 75 bucks a gig or $30 a job, I think, is where I started. And then I was lifting people's equipment, you know, to try to get to the next level, which was like uh, the wedding business and the bar mitzvah business from the bar business. And I think the problem was when I went through this reinvention just a few years ago, I, and I continue to struggle with this concept, is that um, it's not organic. It, it's, you want to make it seem like it's organic because you want the business to grow, but you want it to grow faster than it's actually growing. And I think that's a, that's a sign of an ambitious person, but it's also the sign of maybe somebody that's a little bit impatient. Sometimes impatient is all the motivation that you need, or, or I'll tell you, the mortgage company is all the motivation you need sometimes. <laughs> so for me, being a guy that was at 30 years in the DJ business, that business came... And it's been, it's been booming ever since. Um, you know, slowly but surely, you do one job a year, you do 10 jobs a year, you do 15, and then you build up to 75 or 100 jobs, and you have other people that work for you and do that. In the speaking business, uh, it can be the same thing, but um, as a guy that's fairly new, just three or four years into this business, I'm still banging my head against the wall saying, how do I get more people to, to hear my message, and how do I get more people to hear what I have to say? Well, I think from a DJ standpoint, would you agree that uh, it's like a running back? Most DJs last about seven years. Or oh, yeah, years. yeah. I, I've seen many guys come and go, and um, the problem is that right when they're just about to get to that good part of their career, uh, something else comes along where the parents say to them, you know, you're in your mid-20s, shouldn't you get a real job? And or I they get married. Or they get married, and their wife says, I'm tired of you being out on Saturday night. I don't want you to be out on Saturday night anymore because you have a full-time job and you have this DJ part-time thing on the, uh, on the side. Or they become a parent. Or, of course, yeah. parenting comes too. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, 
I have always looked at you as the guy that is a role model for so many people, and not just business, but you're, you, you take being a father seriously, you take uh, customer service seriously, and in the reward that when you take customer service seriously, you don't have to work as hard to market yourself. Well, it is all about, you know, I, I joke about this with all the guys that I train, the agency that represents me, and, and we have a bunch of other DJs that are, that are in that business too. One of the jokes is that most of the guys, you know, we, we look at this, this typical curve, and let's say a, a typical social event will book you anywhere from six months to a year in advance. Most guys spend all of their time focused on their show, their four hours, you know, their equipment and getting everything together and putting their 20,000, you know, songless database together and all of that. And, you know, I always say if a client ever asks me how many songs I have, I said I have at least 60 because that's how many you're going to get at your party. I know that, so we're going to be covered. But it is really about, we have four hours to work an event, but you have almost a year to build a relationship with a customer. Why are you going to spend your, all of your time in this four-hour zone? Why don't you spend the time building the relationship over the six months to a year that you have this client? If you get to that point where you get to party day, they'll probably have referred you 10 or 15 or 20 times if you really are that good at customer service. So I always say to my clients, respectfully, I'm not the best DJ that's out there. There are guys that are as good or better than me, but what I'm better at everybody at is I can give you really good fun. I said, I'm going to be the best guy. I'm going to be there. It's not just getting you to event day. It's getting you to event day anxiety-free. So we have all of this time to build your event. Would you rather spend focused on the four hours or you want me to spend making sure that you have, you know that 100% when you get to event day, that I understand everything about your family. I've fallen in love with your family, and by the time we get to your party, I'm just a paid party guest. And that's the way I feel about the speaking business, too, is eventually we'll get to the point where I built a business so my clients in that world will feel the same way. Uh, that, that's actually very smart that you're getting to know your client has re- and they're actually referring you because they see that customer service firsthand. Right. Yeah. And I, I will say that... Uh, You've just saved me a huge amount of time in the future. I'm not probably going to be DJing that many more years, but I'll just say that when someone asks you're me. You're a DJ? <laughs> <laughs> I do it every once in a while. I actually did two this past weekend. So, uh, Good for you. <laughs> still feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> that double will still kill you. I, yeah. I have those every once Not as often as I used to, but I still feel it. Well, um, when I have someone come up and go, what do you have? I actually just start reading off everything. And since I usually have 40,000 songs, I actually have like, <laughs> it takes a long it time. Takes a long time. And, and, I, and I, I think it's smart to tell them every single thing so at the very end they can tell you that one song they heard out of the 40,000. Because <laughs> I don't want to cheat them out of any of the music yeah, they have true. with me. Very true. People used to ask me for uh, my request list. You know, can you send me your, your top songs? And now I just send them to Google. I said, just type in top 200 songs requested right. in 2016. I said, that's the way you really... I, it's too hard. I, my job is not to keep up to date with a database of music. My job is to make sure that you have the best experience possible at your party. Regardless of whether one of your guests asked me for a Coke, you know what? I'm not going to say there's your caterer. I'm going to go get the Coke for the guest. Right. I really feel like that is a part of what we do, not to get the Coke, but to make sure that everybody at your party has an enjoyable time. I'm just a guy that's there and running the show for him. Well, I, I heard you say something earlier that reminds me of why you probably are able to close so well in the wedding market because when it comes right down to it, a bride is looking at for peace of mind. Right. So number one is peace of mind. I agree. Two, it is emotional decision. Yeah. Three, I call it more of an insurance policy. Because if you hire the wrong DJ, right. you might have actually thrown away your entire budget you, and all the time that you actually spent 
But how do you explain that to somebody? It, it, regardless of whether it's the DJ business or, or the speaking business or, you know, in trash collection, once you get to the point where they understand what that really means, it's too late because they've hired the wrong guy. Right. So when you say to somebody that wants to spend $2,000 and you're a $4,000 guy, they spend $2,000, they get the party date, it's too late for me to correct it then. Right. I can use it as a story. But, you know, it's not the same. In the speaking world where you want right now, because I want everything that comes across my plate, I'm a little bit more um, lenient on my pricing than I would be in the, in the DJ business, which is a 30-year, you know, haul for me. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. The customer service side of things is so critical. It really is the only thing. And it, it, it's the same way in the speaking business as well. Well, I mean, when it comes to DJs or speakers, Companies that have the budgets want the best. Right. And when they want the best, they expect a high price tag. If they don't hear it, they will actually start backtracking. What I find very interesting, too, is the ones that pay me the most are usually the ones that give me the most artistic latitude, too. Right. In both of those worlds, speaking and my DJ business, the ones that pay $100 or they're looking to spend $150 are the ones that call me to ask the world of me. You know, and, and it's very, very challenging for me to uh, to give them, you know, they, they have this, this, this all world, they want everything. And you try to deliver it, but no matter what you do, it's not going to be good enough. It's the ones that pay the most that give you the most respect that demand the least from you because they give you all the license that you need. Well, I, I've looked at that, and I don't know if I have the complete answer, but one of the things I came up with was the person that's haggling over price that dollar means more to them. Yeah. And so letting it go means you have to earn it. Right. And the one that actually is living in abundance, they actually are saying, I have it, make my day. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, we were talking about somebody that can make a, make a, you know, a dream come true, and it is, it's very true. You really can. If people give me, as, as, as in your business too, if they give you the ability to, to give them the world, you probably will if they don't ask for it. You know, if they don't ask for it, I'm more than happy to provide. Once they start demanding things from me, it makes it almost like a, uh, you know, it, it makes it more of a challenge. It's not that I won't, but it makes it more of a challenge for me to give. Well, you're probably going to take this book back from me that you gave me. <laughs> so Doug Sandler wrote a book, Nice Guys Finish First, and it's Winning Customers for Life by Winning Relationships That Last. And he wrote in the book before uh, the show started, so in a way he'd have to tear that page out if he takes the book back. But uh, one of the things I want to know is how can people get this book? Oh, well, that's an easy Because this is not for them. Just call that. Just call Ken. Ken has plenty of copies. I, he, uh, he actually bought a book. <laughs> uh, just go to Amazon. That's probably the best spot to go. Amazon.com. Nice Guys Finish First. There was another guy that wrote another book called Nice Guys Finish First also, but this is the one by Doug Sandler. So the better one. Uh, I don't uh, – his was pretty good. <laughs> Buy both copies. I think you get a little, a little bump in the shipping if you, uh, if you do both at the same time. And then – so this is, uh, this is actually the mean part that might – Hello, I'm ready. I'm ready. So you've done about 170 podcasts, mm -hmm. and I'm going to confess something to you, and this is uh, a little embarrassing, but I did not listen to all of them. That's okay. I'm a little upset. So I wanted to ask you, just to save our audience that might have a bandwidth issue, Sure. could you share and name drop and give some of the, the goodies that you've gotten out of doing podcasts? What I'm asking you is, who are some of the big guests you've had, and what did you learn from them? Well, what's really great is some of the biggest names were the most humble people ever. Um, Ariane Huffington, uh, I forget, somewhere around the 140, episode 140, something like that. If you go back into, to my website, DougSandler.com, you just type in Ariana Huffington, you'll find out her, where, what episode that she came on. 
she was the most humble person and the most giving person of many, many people that I've had on my show. Um, she actually had a scheduling conflict, and she called me from her limousine on the way to another gig. She gave me 30 minutes or 20 minutes of her time while she was making her way uh, over there. So I thought that was I thought that was very very cool of her. Uh, Dan Harris and she spoke about her book Sleep Sleep Revolution, Sleep Revolution, talking about wellness and the importance of of a, of a rest in your in your daily diet. Um, Dan Harris from Good Morning America was on the show. Um, uh, he talks about uh, it just he went through this whole anxiety thing, and again, wellness was a part of theme of his uh, of his episode. Um, Jeffrey Hazlett, who is the former um, chief marketing officer from um, Eastman Kodak. He was on the show. Um, just what's really interesting, what's so amazing about these guests that were the higher end guests, that their, their nature. They just were so giving and so loving and so wanting. They didn't even. None of them asked me questions about well, how big's your audience or or what or what are we going to get out of this. I think that the smaller people. I don't want to say smaller is in not as successful, but the people that are smaller-minded, they don't really have the right focus, in my opinion. They, Many of them had said, and it, I know people make a business out of this, for sure, but many of them are, I would come on your show if you buy 30 copies of my book and you give away 20 of them as a part of your, you know, so they wanted me to buy into the show, into the episode, and I'm just not willing to do that. I want you people to come on the show if they're interested in putting their message out and uh, if they want to you know, have access to a good audience. So what you basically said... <coughs> is the nicest guys <laughs> on your show are the nicest people in the world. I just think that they, the nicest, nice people, I know it is counterintuitive that nice people, you want to think nice people finish last, that everybody steps on nice people, and that being nice is a sign of weakness. And I will tell you, through 30-plus years of experience myself, is yes, people have tried to step on me, but... I'm telling you, I can go to sleep at night knowing that I've done everything in my power to make people feel better about themselves when they leave me than had they felt about themselves before they were with me. I just feel as though it, it's the right thing to do. Well, it is, Doug, and, and what I've found is there's a tipping point to everything. So if you're entering the game of being the nice guy or the nice gal, I think the first part is you're going to get stepped on because no one knows how what, yeah, who right. you are, what you're doing, right. and you don't either. You're just being nice. Right. But at some point, it tips, and people want to protect you. Oh, it's so, that is so true. You are so right about that. People always say, Doug is a nice guy, but he's not a pushover. And it is very true, and they do come to my rescue oftentimes. I, I, you're, you're 100% right about that. Well, even more so, Doug's a nice guy, and he is a pushover. Don't mess with him. <laughs> like, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. I, I, I'm saying that from a standpoint yeah. that I have actually experienced just recently people saying, Hey, this uh, Ken, he's, he's too nice. He gives too much away. Don't take advantage of him, like that kind of thing. Well, that's and, good. That's and you have, you have your network protection. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. So tell me about your speaking. Uh, I, I know that you're, in, you're considering a career new, but I, I see that you're actually getting some really cool clients. you got, a, obviously, a very valuable message. I saw the social proof on your website that people are just raving about the content you provide. I know that you uh, have deliverables, and you uh, when you do workshops and you go to events, you really state very nicely on your on your website Thanks. what they're going to get out of it. So, would you like to share with the audience what you can what you do at events? I don't really know. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the whole idea behind the message is really it's, it's all about better relationships equal better business. And it may seem 
it may seem very simple and very elementary, but the idea behind things like returning your phone calls, returning your text messages, being on time every time or early, like I was today, just so there's a, a note there. Um, you know, reaching out to people and uh, and contacting people you may not have been communicating with for the last thirty or you know thirty days or two months. I think that the simplest things, the handwritten thank you notes, the the proper email etiquette, the um, you know the telling the truth, building trust. Um, there is such a disconnect between uh, between corporate America today and clients. Um, you know, everybody with social media uh, is is so distant. And I think that you can use social media as an aid rather than as a crutch. You, know, you want social media and you want technology to help bring you closer together. And part of what I talk about in my keynote and my workshops is how to build your brand, how to be a better person, how to be a nicer person, how to use the, uh, you know, how to, how to under, the proper protocol when it comes to just getting back to people. People miss that. It's a huge, it's a huge disconnect right now. And when it's missing, you are losing tons of money, and you're, uh, you're inefficient of having a pipeline because you have to work 10 times harder or more. Right. And, and people just want to be cared about. I, I think that oftentimes people, there's that human element that is so missing in business today. And I, and I want to say it's because of technology, but I don't necessarily know that it is because 100% of technology. I think that people, um, they're so busy now. And everybody's getting pulled in a million different directions, and there's such a huge demand for people's time that people get stretched to the nth degree. And we all rely, we all fall back to, many people fall back to um, mediocre being acceptable. And um, you don't have to be a superstar in order to excel in business today. You just have to be slightly above mediocre. And that, to me, is just, that's horrible. Why not be the best person that you can be at everything that you do? And, um, and in that way. So when we talk about do nice guys finish first, I truly believe that we, we do because um, we do the right thing constantly and consistently. Well, we're going to do the right thing right now, and we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back, and we are going to get downright mean. Okay, let's do it. All right. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash The Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. If you are a small business owner or entrepreneur, you may not be aware of the different options available to you in securing business capital in today's market. We discuss and explore these options each week on Small Business Capital America with host Michael Schumacher. There are two primary ways of building business capital. Profits, which are basically higher revenue and reduced expenses, and external or debt capital. Listen live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. 
Effective leadership is what will propel the world, organizations, and businesses through a range of dynamic changes. How do you keep up with these changes, build skills, and lead effectively? Listen for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. Maureen offers tools and engaging guests who are leaders in their field. With each week, you'll work on and improve your skills to lead with confidence and drive your organization's success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at umbrellasyndicate.com. Now, back to Amplify. Hi, this is Ken Roshan, returning with Doug Sandler here in Washington, D.C., metropolitan area. And so exciting to have Doug come down the, uh, the studio and not be able to use any of the microphones or headphones. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we had a hiccup, but at least he's seen this very valuable equipment all around him. I'm surrounded by microphones, but I don't know. I can't use any of them. <laughs> so Doug has three microphones literally surrounding him in case we ever had three guests, which would be a very pinnacle time. <laughs> that would be good. But maybe you could bring like three of your nice sky guests that you've had for podcast. So I, I wanted to just uh, amp it up a bit and say that uh, Amplified is about actually increasing the distribution of goodness, and so I couldn't ask for a better guest to be on my show than someone that actually really focuses on customer service, which I'm a fanatic about. And it's funny, when customer service happens, Doug, and you're a customer service like fanatic, you'll pay anything for it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that it, I, I'm always willing to pay more for a product from a company that I know provides exemplary service than a company that provides crappy service. I, I, for me, it just it gets under my skin. I just hate that. I hate bad service. Isn't it funny that um, the companies that do bad service the, the really big ones, you know them like that. We won't mention them because we're good guys. Right. But the ones that are really good, you, everyone says the same ones, like Apple, Southwest, Amazon. We all know. And, and you know that if you want to be treated right, you go there, and right. then you don't have to worry about anything. And I always tell people now that I'm making purchases on Amazon just by looking at the ratings because it's not just the Amazon platform, but it's the fact that all of the people that are actually fighting to have the best customer service rating deserve my business and deserve to be rewarded. I think it used to be that customer service was a, was a department within a company. And, and the last thing it is now is a department. Customer service is really about an attitude. It really is about the customer experience. It's that entire journey that a customer takes from the moment they come in contact with your brand until the time that they, uh, they recommend you or they refer you or they, uh, they leave your company for whatever reason. That entire journey along the way is, um, is, is, perfect time for you to show this level of service that's second to none. You know, everybody is a frontline person. Even the person that's paying the, you know, the accounts payable, they all have connections. Uh, your frontline people, like your customer service department, if there actually is one, yeah, it's the obvious. But how about your parking lot? What's your parking lot look like? You know, what does your bathroom look like if you have people that come into your organization? The last thing that you want to do, is, you know, you want to really test out a restaurant, go and look at their bathrooms. I know it sounds kind of silly, but a, a restaurant that cares about the quality and the level of cleanliness in their bathroom 
Or how about a company that um, that has two double doors and the left one opens but the right one doesn't because they haven't bothered to open up that right door? You know, that to me, you really want to test the, the level of, of, of appreciation that a company has. Um, do this, you know, check out the small things that companies do like that and you'll really see the difference that uh, a good a company that's really focused on the customer experience is all about. Well, I am, I'm not the guy that wrote the nice guy book, so I'm allowed to say one thing that's not nice. All right, good. All right, so Best Buy, yeah. they were the company to me that had, they were running the race for the worst customer service. And I think social media caused them to actually wake up because the world was saying, if you want the worst customer service, please go to Best Buy. And so they've actually corrected it. I believe. But they corrected it out of necessity because uh, we were talking about social proof. And the fact of the matter is that the world says a place is the place to go. You go there, and it says it's the place not to go. So I always kid with people. I say, I'm an amplifier. So if you're the worst restaurant, don't hire me because I'm going to amplify you over the worst restaurant. <laughs> yeah, you still have to. You can't, um, you can't hire a good marketing company to, to, um, to market a really crappy company. If you're a crappy company, you better change the way you treat your customers before you hire a marketing company to come in because all they're going to do is put out a, uh, you know, a, false, uh, a false face on who you really are. You know, I, uh, in the very latter part of my career, I finally wrote a book about DJing. It's called The Absolute Spin. And I am bringing this up because you, you shared about the, like the scoring, like uh, a good DJ. Or, right, right. So I was looking at the math. I was trying to look at formulas to see if there's a correlation to basically a bank account or you staying in business. And I noticed that uh, when companies that do a good job, you'd rate them like a seven, or you might not even give them a review because okay. they're just okay. Right, the right. mediocre yeah. part. Well, if you take the DJ at a seven, you take the equipment at a seven, you take the music at a seven, out of ten. Mm -hmm. So ten times ten times ten is a thousand. Right. Seven times seven times seven is three forty-three. Okay. Yeah, it's a failing rate. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I get it. I yeah, get it. and so I would say that even though you said you weren't the best DJ, I think your clients would rate you a ten. Well, I yeah. agree with you. It's certain things like imagine hiring a DJ to come in to do your wedding, and he flubs the first the the uh, the name of the bride or the groom. Right. Now, a guy that's just focused on that four hours, like, you know, I hate to bring back a story that we talked about in the first half, but the guy that focused on the four hours, you're going to get a call on Monday morning saying, that guy didn't even effing know my name. Right. If I make a mistake on a name... And by the way, they will not say effing, they will actually say <laughs> yeah, what Yeah, I heard, you, I heard your show doesn't get the explicit rating, Ken, so I was not going to go with it. Well, Doug said if I drop an F-bomb, then he will. Yeah, but I will <laughs> We'll share it together. But if I spend a year getting to know this couple and I say the wrong name on event day... There's no way they're going to call the office on Monday morning to say, hey, this guy screwed up on our name. Because they know I know their name. It was an honest error. It's the guy that, does it, that makes the mistake, and it's not an honest error. That, uh, I guess my point is that, yes, you're 100% right. I may not be the best DJ out there, but my clients may disagree with you because all of those other things pale in comparison. Well, and that speaks to uh, a question I get a lot of times, which is how long have your DJs worked for you? And I say, if that was a relevant question and it had any bearing, I would answer that, but I'm going to tell you why it's not relevant. And by the way, you're disrespecting the client if you just flat right, out say yeah, it's not right, important. Right. But I say, let me ask you this. If I hire a guy, and he's only been with my company six months, but he's getting five stars every single week on his show reports and on his reviews or on social media, then this kid cares or this guy cares about your event. And a guy that might be doing it 20 years or five years or 10 years, if they're in burnout phase, it really doesn't matter how long they've been. Well, oftentimes clients don't, customers don't know What's the question to ask? Right. So, so they ask the questions that everybody, that every review has, you know, like when you're going to buy a plane ticket, the things that you want to know are, um, you know, how much is the fare and how quick, do I have any direct or non-direct, you know, it, it, how many stops? 
they don't say, well, what does your gate person look like or feel like or how do they make you feel? But if I fly southwest, that gate person, in the event that there's a weather delay, they'll keep us updated every five minutes. But how would I as a customer know to say, if we have foul weather, how often do your gate people update you? Nobody cares about that. They care about the fare. So the first question they, they ask for is, I'm going to fly. How much is it? Because that's the only question that they really think about asking. You know, I... I was bad. I didn't write this letter I need to still write, but it's a Southwest story that just happened last week. Okay. And I actually missed a speaking engagement uh, at, at a, a Chamber of Commerce because my flight connection could not happen because Denver was having bad weather. Well, Southwest did everything in their power. And by the way, I, I think it was roughly almost 24 hours to get home from Ontario, wow. California to little old Maryland. But I was laid over in Denver. I think the customer service was ex almost exceeding two hours of effort. Right. And I couldn't be upset. They did everything. They, they looked at right. every pathway. And so I just called the Chamber of Commerce and said, they've done everything. I've done everything. Sorry. And Sorry, we can't get there. Can't get there. So, and so it, that's the kind of story right there where I'll go back to Southwest. Where if they hadn't handled right, that's the last place I'd go. And it, it's very interesting, but Southwest has really got the perfect, they got the wrong name. I don't understand Southwest, but they got the perfect emblem. It's the heart, right? Yep, yeah, absolutely. Good. So, what is the one of the things you're most proud of in, in what you've done? Oh, you like? So, this, is this the crying moment of the show? <laughs> this is the crying moment. Yes. Uh, I, I, uh, and nice guys do cry. In case you okay, so this is the one that's most fresh in my mind because uh, it, it happened just within the last couple of weeks. What I am most proud of is my uh, is my son right now. I spent the last two weeks with my son at, uh, traveling uh, to three national parks on the uh, on the west side of this uh, of our United States, loving every moment of it. Realizing oh, after twenty years, my son just turned twenty. After twenty years, how amazing. A job that that uh, that he and it, it, that his mother and I must have done because I don't know when he came up with some of the things that he said he's just a guy that just made me so proud you know he was respectful of every guest that we came across every person that we happened to see he enjoyed spending time with his dad um, I don't know why it took me 20 years before I you know finally took a vacation just the two of us. But I'll tell you, it was uh, it, it, probably one of the proudest moments, just enjoying a couple of weeks with my son and seeing what he what he has become over the last 20 years. Well, even though my son is just a tad bit younger, <laughs> he is my proudest uh, achievement, and so I relate. And I, I saw the social media post, and I, I saw the value you were getting out of that. It, it was very clear in the photos and also the what, what you wrote. So that's oh, thanks, thanks. Yeah, that was definitely a proud moment. I mean, my, I love my daughter, and my daughter is a uh, is a master's student at uh, at Peabody for music, and she is the overachiever's dream. <laughs> she is she is so amazing and so very talented as well, and uh, I I couldn't be more proud of, of both my kids. And and I would love to say that I have you know would take all the credit for it, but they've had, they've done something right all on their own, just getting to be really good people out there in the world. That's cool. Uh, in your journey of whether it's the DJ or where you are now, what was uh, what was that time that was almost felt like you were gonna gotta quit? Didn't make sense. Aside from right now, <laughs> <laughs> can we not include right now? Yeah, right now. Um, you know, I never really, I've never really been a guy that's given up. You know, I think that one of the things that I really uh, pride myself on is is my um, perseverance. Um, I. Uh, I'm very consistent with my actions, and I'm not saying that to, to, to boast. I, I just I really don't know what it means to not 
try as hard as, I mean, there may be moments in my day where I, you know, if I wake up one morning and just say, I don't feel like doing this, you know, or maybe this wasn't the, who doesn't second guess what they're, you know, what they're going through. You know, my, my speaking business, while it's doing well, it's not where I want it to be. But I think that that's a mark of somebody that, I, what I use as rationale is that's the mark of an ambitious person. <clears throat> somebody that says it's not where it needs to be right now. I need to keep moving forward. Somebody else might say, I've seen plenty of speakers, just like I've seen plenty of DJs at that seven-year mark or five-year mark or even two-year mark say, you know, this just isn't for me. And right when they're right about to be successful, too. So um, I don't really have a plan. You know, um, Ryan Estes, this guy that, that uh, was my inspiration in, in, uh, in the speaking world, and the guy that was one of my early catalysts, uh, he talks about this whole thing of burn the boats. And mentally, when I pulled my boat up on shore to become a speaker and to become a writer and a blogger and to do the, that podcast and all of these things that have, has happened in the last three and a half years or so, um, I really burned that, that boat. I just said, I'm not going back. You know, I love my DJ business, and I don't want to stop that, but I think eventually being that 60-year-old guy doing the line dances on the middle of the dance floor is just not, I, I, I don't see myself doing it. Maybe there are guys that do, but that's just not, that's just not me. I want to go out on top. I don't want to go out because my market says, this guy is too old, and I don't think he should be doing this anymore. Or that you can't do anything else. Or, yeah, or I, right, or I can't do anything else. That's another valid point. Why not take all of this business experience that I've learned in building my, my entertainment business and use it to help other people that are starting businesses too? I'm not saying the sign of the, the, the show of success has to be that I'm making a million dollars of this. I think the show of success is if I can show someone else how to avoid some of the pitfalls, even if I don't make any, I, there's plenty of people that I coach right now. I don't make a cent from them. I do it because I think it's the right thing to do because why not help somebody else try to achieve, you know, anything out of their life that they couldn't get to had they not had some help. I love helping people. I think it's a great thing. If I happen to make money out of it too, that's great. But if I don't, then, you know, that maybe that's in the cards. Purpose-driven, right? Right, exactly. I, I love that idea. Let's, get, let's be purpose-driven. I think that if you're purpose-driven and you focus on what you know that you know how to do well, I truly believe that the money will come. It's just a matter of time, and now we just have to uh, just work our plan. Some people might say, oh, well, you got to focus on the money. And, you know, there are people that have built a speaking business in three years, and they're making fifteen, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000 a speech, and they're doing it right out of the gate. That's just not the path that I chose, or maybe it's not the path I know how to take. So I'm taking the one that I know how to take, which is being nice, helping people, and I know eventually it will, it will make a living for me. For people that are comfortable, we'll put it, and need to change their game, what are some of the game-changing things that you did that caused the biggest impact in your success? It's so simple, it's ridiculous. The most simple thing that people forget is to be human, is to return your phone calls. It's to return those emails and those text messages. It's to tell the truth. It's to not look at the dollar, but look at how you're solving a problem for someone. I can't tell you how many times in both my speaking business and my entertainment business, I've said to a client, no, not no, as in I'm not going to do it, but no, you don't need that, that option or you don't need that service or I don't think that you're going to get the proper impact out of, what you're, out of the dollar that you're going to spend. Yes, I could have made more money in the long run. So I would say that if people... No, in the short run. <laughs> yeah. I think in the short run. Yeah, in the long run, they yeah, referred you. Yeah, it's true, it's true. In the short run, you're right. You're, you're 100% right. I misspoke there. 
I think that if people would just understand that that the best person to be is themselves and to and to care about others and to respect others and to treat them not as a dollar sign but to treat them as a person, the dollars will always come. I, 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 there's been so many promotional jobs that I've done over the last 30 years of, of being an entertainer. I can't, I can't recall doing one promo job that has not come back to reward me with a paid job. And I don't do it because I look for the paid job. I do it because I think it's the right thing to do. If somebody, I'm not saying give away all of your services, but I'm saying if there's an opportunity in there, you may as well look at it and, and take the opportunity, regardless of whether there's money in it or not. So I would, I would say as advice to anybody that is looking to, uh, to start a business, be in business, trying to figure out what direction to go, um, it might not be the most practical advice just to say be human, but part of part of starting a business is understanding how important relationships are and you being human is, is critical. Well, that is not very complicated. Young man. <laughs> oh, sorry, you want to, you want something? Return your phone calls and your emails at the same time. Try to help you. Well, I, I agree with that. So you said that you are going to be possibly writing a second book. What would that book be, be about? Well, um, I think I, I think I actually even have the title. The first book is called um, uh, "Nice Guys Finish First. The second book is going to be called "Yes, More Mr. Nice Guy." So, I I, I think that it's there is not enough about the reinvention because at the time I wrote that book, I was right in the throes of the reinvention. So it really is part one of my life of all of the stories and lessons that I've learned. I think that there are so many people that are in there. 30s, 40s, and 50s that are looking for, or even 60s and beyond, they're looking for that reinvention that the book is going to spend some more time on focusing on what do you do now that you know some things. You know, it's just enough to be dangerous. So it's those lessons that I've learned. Okay, so for the guy who may not be Mr. Nice Guy, this book can help them refocus. Uh, Absolutely. Shift their habits. Absolutely. It is. There are... Uh, um, Nice Guys Finish First, at the end of each chapter, has, uh, has action items. They're, they're pretty simple action items, but they're action items that I think that the basics are where people need to go, especially if you, if you feel like um, consistency isn't your friend or that if you're having trouble building relationships or if you're not understanding exactly how to build a network, uh, I think that the book is very helpful and it, it provides some action. Um, the other side of it is, too, is uh, I, I always tell everybody, you know, if you have any problem, pick up the phone and call me. I'll be happy to have a conversation with you. I'll at least get you on a path where you, where you have the right connections. You know, listening to a show like yours or listening to my podcast called The Nice Guys on Business Podcast, you know, those are the things that they're free. You know, how much does it cost to listen to your show, Ken? Are you still free? I'm still free. In fact, uh, we're looking for a sponsor so that we can give it more free. Oh, uh, more free. And we want you to do five shows a week instead of one show a week, right? So for me, there are, there are so many. Uh, make, your university, make your car a university on wheels. You know, take, take advantage of all the free things that are out there and, uh, and understand that it is more about the relationships that you build. You just can't build a relationship being a tyrant or an office or a water cooler conversation guy. You have to build it you know, based upon making connections, solid connections, because your network is everything. So who are the people that inspired you to be Mr. Nice Guy? Mm, interesting. 
Well, I, I, I guess early on in my career, I was in the mortgage business when I first got out of college. Um, and I had a, bro- a boss, his name was Brian Sachs. And uh, what was great about Brian was that he talked all about relationships. In the mortgage business at the time, um, it, the, uh, the market was, uh, was great, and there were so many people jumping on refinances. It was one of those times where the rate, interest rate, rates were low, and everybody wanted to refinance out of their 10% mortgage down to a 4 or 5% mortgage. And uh, he really instilled the belief that you can't take a refi unless you take a purchase also, because the purchase is where you make the relationship. The refi, the refi market's going to dry up, but if you don't have those relationships built with your real estate agents, and people in the community, then uh, then well, as soon as that those rates start going sky high again, which they will, which they continue to do, uh, or not sky high, but continue to raise, uh, you're going to be out of business. So he taught me the value of relationships very early on out of college. But even before that, when I was just a little kid, my mom always used to say, Doug, you'd be nice. I mean, that was really, you know, my parents were divorced when I was very young. And, and my mom relied upon humor and relationships as a part of building her network. And um, it worked for her to build a great real estate business. And for me, it's, it's worked the entire way. So through having, trying to have a sense of humor, whether I do or not, it's, you know, it's in the eyes of, eyes of the beholder, I guess. And, uh, and just continue to build your network through doing the, right, doing the right thing, being a nice guy, returning your phone calls, doing all the stuff that you need to do to be you know, consistently nice. You know, my mom was also instrumental in that same type of message. She said, if you don't have something nice to say about something, like, <laughs> right. don't well, say it. All, right. So it doesn't help the situation, yeah. does it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. Okay, and so uh, any quotes that uh, you, you sprinkled in your book or that you like to share? Well, the, first, the quote that, I, that, I, that really uh, comes home is that Gary Shandling quote, if you don't think that nice guys finish first, you don't know where the finish line is. Um, I, I think that, that I've always led my life in a... Um, set unrealistic expectations, but then exceed them. That's always been my attitude. I, I've never been a that's good enough guy. That's never been my approach, not to business, not to life, not to anything. Anything that I've done, I've always wanted to do so much far beyond where I thought. I, I wanted to test myself. You know, yeah, I can, um, I can, you know, make the best Caesar salad in the world, but I want to try to figure out how to make it even better. I'm always tweaking something, you know, so that I go to the next level, whether it's in business or whether it's, whether it's personal. Maybe that's why I tried a second life. I'm not really sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah, and that's the other thing. Nice guys, we make mistakes. Right. You know, we screw up along the way. I, I, you know, there are plenty of things that I've done in my life that I have, that I have failed at. My dad, who was a, uh, a sales trainer his entire life, um, taught me that it's okay to fail. And I think that he was a, a extremely influential in my life, an extremely um, influential person, um, not because he was a great dad, but because I just think that he had the right business sense. He just that alignment of the things that he said, I respected him in business, maybe not personally, but I respected him in business, and I could see that he was successful at it, and I thought if I just follow him and see what he does and kind of, follow his strategies, then maybe things will work out for me. And one of the things he would, would said many times is, it's okay to fail. And I've done it many times. So I'm fine with that. Well, you know, I think the distinction is if you're human, you're imperfect. And if you're imperfect, you will make mistakes and you will fail. I think the nice guy is accountable for them. I, right. I, I think the nice guy says, I got something to clean up. 
Oh yeah, and you never you, you never run from your errors, and you never blame it on somebody else. Uh, take all take all the hit yourself. It really does feel good when you can take the hit from something that you've done rather than make an excuse. The person accepting your apology for making the mistake sometimes it actually builds a better relationship with your customers when you admit mistakes. They appreciate that you admit the mistake. They understand that you're going to fix the mistake. You fix the mistake, and that bond gets stronger. Yeah, I think that is a, a huge point that I don't think I've ever brought up in my show, but I believe is something that is missing is that when you make the mistake in business, that you not only own up to it, but you ask the client, the customer, how do I make it right? How do I make it right? And then what you find is, though, now you've got this different bond with this customer. You've both been through this this challenging experience together, you've ridden the challenge out, you've resolved the problem, probably with the help of the customer because they're telling you what they need right. to fix it. And uh, oftentimes, if you handle it right, those people will come back to you um, as, a, as a customer again and again, which is great. Because they trust you. They trust you. They yeah. trust that you're actually going to do what you say. You've stood behind your product or your service. And I, I think the nice guy is about listening. They're listening to what actually the deliverables are so they can actually make that happen. So, can you believe an hour went by just like that? Doug? It's over. I thought that was ten minutes. Did that mean, when, when the other five. Well, that, that's why you're going to be here every week. So I want to make sure people know how to reach you, how to get the book, and how to book you for an event, and also get the workshops. Excellent. Well, if they uh, go to my website, which is DougSampler.com, uh, you can get all information about my speaking programs, my workshops, my keynotes, my uh, my online training program, and my podcast are all right there on the on the same site. My book, Nice Guys Finish First, is available on Amazon and. Um, if you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I have a, I have a lovely uh, following there. So at uh, DJ Doug is my uh, Twitter handle, so feel free to reach out there as well. And because there might have been a hiccup at the beginning of the show, I just want to give a thank you again to Max Major, who is the big reason, the power of one person who said, hey, why don't you two nice guys help each other? And you guys have great content. So, Doug, I'm so glad he suggested that we get together. It's uh, cool to have a local person that is actually playing the national game and anything I can do to support you, I will. So, Doug, you've been amplified, and nice guys do finish first. Excellent. Thanks, Ken. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplified. Be sure to join Ken Rashad again next Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, go get your message heard.